Hey everyone, this next episode of the podcast, I sat down with my good friend and visionary artist, Danny Stevens. You may recognize him from an earlier podcast. We get into a variety of topics, uh, especially those going on in his art world where he's just opened up a really cool gallery with several other artists in uh, in Oregon, as well as uh, he's now joined forces with Earth. Pulse Collective, and you'll hear us talk a lot about that and what that's all about. If you do want to learn more after you listen to the podcast about it, potentially sign up for um, some of the teacher trainings that they're putting on. You can go to earthpulsecollective.com. And if you want to check out Danny's work, head on over to dannystevensart.com or find him on Instagram at dannystevensart. I hope you all enjoy the podcast. It was a lot of fun to sit down and talk with him. It had been a while, so we uh, were able to talk about quite a bit. Hope you all enjoy. Take care. I'm all about the mushrooms, though, dude. I've been taking Stamets 7. I take that in the morning, and then I take another uh, lion's mane powder in the evenings. I'm all about the mushrooms. I started... uh, Oh, we're on. I started uh, foraging, too. Which ones are you finding out there? Wild um chanterelles i found chanterelles that's what i went looking for like i went hiking up behind the huntington museum of art it's like up on the hill there's some really cool trails out behind it um like we came up out of the woods and there was a guy in the car he's like oh what's up my utah friends we're like what our car we still have our utah license plate from paying his car and i guess he used to live out in colorado so he was like all stoked to reminisce he was a little bit older uh, cool. He's like, do you see any chanterelles down there? I was like, I wasn't really looking, but no, I didn't see any. He's like, there's a ton down there. Just got to hit it at the right time. I was like, oh, man. Yeah, I guess he's a chef around here, like personal chef. So he goes down there and forages for his business. He doesn't tell anybody, though, that that's where he gets the mushrooms. because He feels like people would freak out that he's, like, in the woods digging up mushrooms. Uh, yeah, and out here, that's a, that's an upsell. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he, it's like a bunch of older people that cook stories. Like, yeah, they probably wouldn't be too happy. Um, Remember that mushroom guy that would come into the lobster and he like had like um, coverall, coveralls and covered in mud, just like a handful of mushrooms? Oh, yeah, dude, that guy was awesome. Yeah, yeah I like, felt him come in that day. It was like, somebody hideous here. <laughs> <laughs> he just brought the forest with him. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what I want to do. Yeah, do it. You're doing it. Yeah, yeah. I made like a whole meal from stuff I brought out from the woods and from my backyard in my garden. It was so sick. That's so sweet. How's the garden going? You got it at your parents? Uh, no, I got it at my place. So you had another garden started. Sweet. No, it's my. I don't have the one of my parents. Just the one of my. Okay. Yeah, it's it's pretty small. I've got like enough space for like a, a zucchini. I've got six kale plants, a bunch of pickling cucumbers. I started pickling um, a few different pepper plants, a bunch of herbs, tomato. And then I've got like, I'm probably up to 12. Well, no, I just propagated a bunch of Swiss cheese plants. So I'm up to like 15, 16 house plants now. Dude, nice, yeah, man. I'm just great. Yeah, that's, a, I love it. that's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Got this. Yeah, uh, how's Dana? She's good. Yeah, she's got her got her a job. It was rough at first, just getting back into it. She likes it now. It's like at an allergy clinic. Um, an allergy clinic? Or do they do like the, the Averly tests or something uh, like that? And... I don't know. I know they do a lot of injections to see if you're allergic to stuff. Oh, wow. 
but yeah, she's she's liking it. She wanted to get out of like the nursing home. She's just tired of it, being there for twelve to sixteen hours a day, and just it's just rough. I mean, you know how that goes. Um, so she was able to get into a clinic, and it's like five days a week, basically set schedule. She knows her schedule. She's off weekends. She's off every holiday. Every once in a while, she get a Friday off. You know, so it's it's nice, a nice change of pace. Sweet. You guys been climbing a lot, right? Yeah, we're trying to. Yeah, we've been mm, probably been two weeks now though since we have been. I think my buddy and I are going out this weekend. It's been fun exploring West Virginia, man. I feel like I've seen more of the country than I had of my own state. Yeah, for sure. It's been a lot of fun. And like we've just every trip we've taken since we've been home has been inside the state because every every other place is still shut down, like as far as parks go and stuff. But West Virginia has been opened back up? As far as the parks go. And, I mean, honestly, yeah, everything's pretty much open. <laughs> yeah. it's. I mean, it's definitely precautionary. I mean, it's half capacity. and you got to wear masks when you go in. No matter where you go in, even restaurants and stuff, you got to have a mask on. And, like, half the bar seats are gone. And so they're taking precautions. But um, people, people have been decent about it. It hasn't been too bad. I mean, it's such a sleepy state, though. Has there been a resurgence or, like, an increase in cases since they did that? Yeah, there's definitely been an uptick. More so, like, up north Morgantown, there was a big uptick. Um, but that's a pretty, like, it's close to Pittsburgh. It's only probably two hours from Pittsburgh. Um, so they get a lot of traffic, and it's a big college town, and so they, they got everything shut back down, like bars and restaurants had to close up again. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what's going to – no one knows what the hell is going to happen. I, I, I feel like it's going to all get shut down again. Once I think it's going to get worse in the fall. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, could, I could see that happening. I mean, there's an increase in testing, which I know kind of, like, changes the numbers a lot. Yeah. Um, but it's at the same time, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting with all the protests and everything. They haven't even, I don't think, been to correlate any of the rise in – cases to the protests yeah and there's like thousands of people out there but they're wearing masks and outside for the most part yeah you know? the outside's but, a big thing i think yeah. it, it seems like being inside close contact without any covering like for long periods of time seems like the, and that's why like all these most of it's been attributed to like bars yeah like, did you see that picture of nashville the the uh the, I think it was the Kid Rock Club or something in Nashville that was, like, packed, like, not a mask in sight in the photos. <laughs> I did not see that, but it was not surprising. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I don't know. It's so interesting. There's so much, like, the information hasn't gotten any more clear over the last four months, you know? No. Yeah. No, it's all, so. it's all muddy, man. No one knows what's going on. And I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen with it. Like I said, I just I just feel like once everyone's cooped up back inside, once it starts getting colder and you can't go outside, and that's just I feel like it's gonna get worse. Because they say like vitamin D has a huge thing to do with it. Like totally. it's like the numbers are increasing and more people are infected, but less people are being hospitalized. It seems like and the cases aren't as bad. So I don't know if like the virus is weakening, or if it's because like healthier people are getting it now, and so they're not being affected by it. Uh, and we're outside. I have no idea. I think we're learning more about the asymptomatic like carriers of it and their ability to transmit it, and like um, like the death rate have, is much lower than what we thought. Yeah. You know, and then like increase in testing, so that means like more people had it anyways. Right. 
And like, so it's like, yeah. If you don't test, you don't have it, remember? Right, yeah, that's that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. It doesn't. Yeah. Now, if someone yeah. at uh, Dana's work got tested positive, so he's been home. He was asymptomatic. His wife had it, and she was symptomatic. Um, so, I don't know. I I could have it right now. I could have had it. I feel like I did, dude. I was sick as a dog in December, but there was a really bad case of the flu going around, too. That's what makes it hard, too, because it's so similar to that. Yeah. You know, uh, Chelsea, Chelsea's work had cases. I think they had, like, I'm, I might be butchering this, but, like, seven people died from it. Oh. And, like, so they were quarantined. They were already quarantined when the quarantine started for some other virus, like norovirus <laughs> or something yeah. like that. So they actually, like, did really well at the beginning. But um, they had a lot of employees that, like, wouldn't wear their masks. Chelsea, Chelsea, you know, was, like, real like militant about it like in her office and everything yeah. like and, and people were walking around without their masks up and they were complaining about masks or the ones that ended up the employees that ended up getting it huh. weird yeah huh. strange who knows man uh i certainly do not <laughs> i don't either that's why I like yeah well we're at the studio there's like 10 of 10 artists like we're all like sharing space now so it's like navigating everybody's um caution yeah. is a little, a little differently some people don't really care at all some people you know care a lot so it's you know we're erring on the side of uh with the most cautious yeah. just respecting the person that's the most cautious and um we actually had that conversation yesterday because things got a little too laxed and uh we're just like figuring out how to navigate that because yeah. like a lot of people want to come check out the new space but at the same time we have to adhere to like you know some of the standards and we're in kind of close quarters we kind of have six feet between us each in our spaces but if we're all hanging out together, we're, we're already exposing each other, but then bringing in outside visitors and stuff is just kind of the, you know, the other element to it. Yeah, it's a whole other deal. Yeah, so totally. What, uh, what, what is the mandate out there? Um, I mean, we were looking it up yesterday. I think it's like gatherings of over 10. Yeah. I think like you have to be masked and, um, I'm not sure. I don't, you know, I, I don't really know because yeah. I know they kind of rolled back some stuff. It kind of it, it opened up a little bit and then it like tightened back up a little bit. Right. But I, I don't know exactly what the thing is. I mean, there's 10 of us that are rarely there at the same time. Um, so like, I don't know. I just, I have my mask with me. Anytime I go in, in anywhere yeah. in Portland, I'll wear a mask. I'll have it with me, but, but around each other in the studio, we don't wear them. Yeah. I mean, we, we don't like cuddle up or anything, right. but you know. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds sounds about the same here. So how's yeah. that new space treating y'all? Dude, it is a dream. Yeah, it looks like it is a dream. Yeah, I mean it's not quite done. Like we started working on the retail aspect of it yesterday, like cleaning out and getting like a little gallery and like a little storefront kind of set up. Yeah. And uh, we had, we had a talk with somebody who's going to come in and like actually work the retail space so that even when artists aren't working on their work, we have somebody there selling work for us. Cool. And he'll also be doing like full representation, finding us mural gigs and working the social media side of things. Nice. Just for, a marketing for, yeah, for commission, basically. Like yeah. He's just going to take 20% of all the sales that he generates and test that out for a little while and see if that makes it worth his time, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's really cool. It's just like, a, you know, the, the first round of quarantine or whatever, you know, like I just like buried myself in the, in the back room here at the house, you know, to yeah. into a studio and you forget how much you thrive off of that energy exchange of having other artists around, especially in like the kind of festival art scene, you know, like it, we really thrive off of being in the same space together, hashing out D 
details of paintings and all that kind of stuff. So I'm sure we've we've had that lately, and we've had some people visiting from out of town, people that we go to festivals with, and it's been hang- like last two nights we were there painting till like four thirty in the morning, you know, and it was it's been awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it looks like the progress has come very quickly. I felt like I. I was looking at pictures like a couple of weeks ago and then I saw one again like yesterday. It was like a completely different space. This train yeah. it didn't even look like the old the one when you guys got it. It's crazy. Dude, it's it's trippy to see that and it's changing every day. And what's cool is like having that many people working on it, you know, like it changes before I go back. Right. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, we have this one guy, Ollie, who he has he's doing like projection mapping and he has a VR set up and he's building this like stretchy white fabric dome inside the lounge. Nice. So and it has strip LEDs and he's projecting on the outside, but he's also got a bunch of that white stretchy fabric and all these different stuff, like fabrics, and he's like stretching them throughout the place, making this canopy where the whole place feels like more unified and kind of like one big tent space. Yeah. You know, it's just it's cool. Like just ever just you know creating a container and then allowing people to be creative and within that space, you know, and then just see what it becomes from there. And like, I'm so pleased to see what everybody's showing up with, you know? That's awesome. So was it yeah. like, did it start as your idea and then kind of evolve from there? Or was it like a group thing to begin well, with? And yeah, I've kind of like always, you know, you and I, we've talked about like creative spaces and wanting to kind of like put those things out there and like I was wanting to find a studio away from the house um, just for concentration with you know Claire around you know having yeah. a little toddler and, um, but also doing prices and it's like the cheapest thing I could find was like 300 bucks you know for a month and it was like a little white box and you're separated from the rest of the artists in the community there's no retail no foot traffic you know you yeah. might get a first Thursday or something so I started researching and like if we were to all get a space together we could all pay the same price but have something together um, but then this space opened up, which is a 10 minute walk from the house yeah. and it's right by the river and it's half the price of anything else in Portland because they're tearing the building down in two years. Okay. Uh, and then it might extend a little bit because like in the age of COVID, the construction permits and stuff of the, you know, whatever they're going to build on top might, you know, get pushed out a little bit. Um, but you know, we have two years to like really get comfortable, do a proof of concept. Uh, to see about as far as expanding into something bigger, maybe right. having a venue element or something like that, you know? Right. But yeah, we're only paying uh, $1,500 a month and it's 3,000 square feet. <laughs> nice. So, and then like, just um, like I found the space and called all the artists that I feel like um, the most like personal connection with yeah. and the ones that I know, like communicate really clearly and we all respect each other and get through tough conversations. Like all of those people that, you know, we've been painting with and, it took nine phone calls and all nine artists confirmed like right away and we all jumped on and yeah, it's, it's really cool. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. What's the building going to be? Why, why are they tearing it down? They're putting apartment complexes uh, right there. That's what I figured, dude. Yeah. And they that can make way more money out of that. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, did, I know they put that one up before I had left. Is there, are there any more downtown Milwaukee? A little bit, but a little bit on the other side of the railroad tracks, I think, yeah, okay. they're putting stuff. But, I mean, they need more parking down there, for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But there's, like, a city parking lot right next to the space, and I, I think they're going to, like, incorporate that into, okay. like, nobody can use it now. They just use it to park construction rigs and stuff whenever okay. they're doing work, you know? Okay. But it's a, it's a dentist office upstairs. It was that old, remember we used to see, like, people with kettlebells running around? Oh, you know? yeah. We got their old space. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I know right where you're talking about. 
Yeah, so there's still a chin-up bar in there and, like, <laughs> hops, hopscotch in the hallway that they use to, like, so we're keeping some of those elements, so now we have a chin-up bar in the studio, and nice. uh, it's cool. That's nice. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. And we're going to be doing a uh, podcast out of there, too. Cool. Is that the one that I listened to the other day that you sent me? Was that, uh, no. was that done out of there? Well, it was done out of there, but really, like, uh, just, like, impromptu. That's a guy that, uh, a friend of ours we met at festivals who uh, operates, like, Shady Pines Radio and Lucid Vibe Radio. Yeah, okay. It's, like, an internet radio thing, and nice. he wanted to interview Holly and Dylan about Earth Pulse. Yeah. And he just met them there to nice. do that. But we're going to be doing an Earth Pulse-specific podcast out of the space, but adding more of a... Um, we're going to experiment a little bit, add more of a visual and artistic element to it. Mm -hmm. So, like, uh, have you have you watched Midnight Gospel? Um, no, but I know a bit of the concept and, like, the art, the type of art that it's done in and stuff. Yeah, well, like, it has this double entrancing effect, the show does, where there's there's this visual thing going on that takes you on this visual trance, and then there's the audio, the audio that's yeah. a completely separate, like, entrancing thing. So there are these two yeah. things, and it's almost like a weird way of digesting the information because you okay. have these two entrancing things going on. So we're going to have... Uh, live painting and art going on during the podcast like video right. cast and then the artist will be mic'd up as well and so the artist can be a part of the conversation and stuff mostly providing like the visual element we'd have a yeah. camera over everybody talking a camera over the art being made and then ollie is going to be producing it we'll have like visuals going on the wall we might have some art being projection mapped on somewhere else that we like blend in the video and the audio where it's kind of this uh it's a whole production and not just the the audio part of the podcast right you know? oh that's a great idea that's kind of what he had done right the the, the audio is all his uh, art, art isn't it clips taken from his podcast for him yeah for duncan, for duncan. yeah yeah which is so interesting because like i listen to those podcasts like I, I i'm i'm watching the show through the lens of having heard those podcasts yeah so um i'm wondering what it would be like to as somebody who never listened to Duncan, right. you know, like I, I really wish I could watch that show through that lens, you know, having yeah. not heard the podcast. <laughs> but it's really, it's yeah. genius. Like the, the information that he's transmitting in that way is so digestible for so many people. I think it's going to go down as like a really, really important show as a part yeah. of this time, you know, like he's, he's handling heavy concepts and, you know, and, and, uh, exposing it to millions of people who normally wouldn't, you know, sit down. Yeah. It's really, it's really cool to see. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't really know what I'm digesting when I'm watching it. It's so crazy <laughs> that you have to go back. Like, did I eat any of that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. He can, he's pretty wild, dude. dude. I love him. I love when he's on Joe. <laughs> It cracks me up. I love the last one that they did too, because it was like right in the middle of the, the explosion of COVID. And dude, they didn't talk about it once. <laughs> no. They didn't bring it up once. It was awesome. Because like every podcast before that, as soon as it broke out, like that's what they would talk about the entire time. So I was like expecting them to go down this weird conspiracy rabbit hole, the two of them, and they and they never brought it up. And it was so like it was a nice break from it because it was right when it was happening, and that's all you—that's all the information that was was COVID, COVID, COVID. And then they just didn't bring it up. It was like, oh, cool. That was like a breath of fresh air. I wonder if that was like some sick joke of theirs, you yeah. know? Like, like let's, let's not talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, man? Yeah, but it's cool. It was refreshing. Uh, it's funny as soon as 
like they go on live together. I get so excited. Like, like I stop whatever I'm doing, and I'm like, I'm, I'm watching this right now. Yeah, this <laughs> yeah, for sure. Food balls, dude. I know. That's good. That's what we need. Oh, for sure. And I just listened to the most recent. I can't remember the guy's name. The UFO guys. Uh, Jeremy Corbell, the the um the video producer, and then that George yeah. Knapp guy or whatever. Yeah. I listened about half of that one. It's wild. It blows my mind every time. Every I just time think of that is. Adam. I think of that Adam video too, every single man. time. So we gotta we gotta get that out there somehow. Gotta, send it to those get, guys. Yeah, we gotta send it to those guys. I was reading about the Red River Gorge again the other day. I was like looking up stuff. Um, he's not the only person that something has, hap- has happened to out there. And it's similar stuff. Yeah, there's some weird stories about that gorge, man. And the <laughs> person I was reading they, their account. They like gave exact specifics of where they were camping that night, and so I'm like, I'm tempted to go down there, but I'm also tempted to not. <laughs> Do it, please. <laughs> it freaks me out. Man. Dude, I will fly there and go camping with you out there. <laughs> yeah, it's down like some some gravel road down this ravine or something, man. And I can't remember what this person's account was. Something they. Something about a, a strange orb. They definitely saw that. Um, I don't remember what else. I don't remember. It, it's just, it blows my mind. Though. One of the weirdest accounts that I read about from that area was that these uh, couple was hiking like way out in the middle of nowhere, and they saw this like nine to ten year old girl like just coming down the ridge line, and um, like in like a little sundress, not even carrying like a water bottle or anything like that, just yeah. like prancing down like in the middle of nowhere and then whenever she passed them she said like hello but it was like a mechanical like voice a little bit like we're kind of like the one in adam's video yeah like you know that voice it was like yeah yeah (laughs) yeah so this person account they said something about that too that that mechanical like voice like that so that's like a constant a constant and the orb at the end of it too you know and i did after every once in a while i'll listen to it are you, are you there? You hear me? Oh. I got disconnected somehow. Got a shit ton of grapes. And then tomatoes will be soon. And then everything else I eat comes from our market. Our, we have a like a... Uh, it's a brick and mortar farmer's market and they pull from like probably 30 miles radius around here. So that's what what I've been eating out of. So all of my food is coming from just about all of my food. There's a few things I have to stuff. Like I I don't have to, but I do supplement from the grocery store, like some bananas and stuff. Avocados. Yeah. Like cracker. I mean, all, all that kind of stuff. But as far as all my meat, probably 95% of my vegetables, 95% of my fruit, it's all coming from right here. So beautiful. Yeah, it's awesome, dude. I freaking love it. I love it. Trying to cut that middleman out and just trying to eat as small and as local as possible. That's Uh, anarchy. Yeah, for sure. Like 100%, dude. That's that's, that's the little things that, like, for me is going to change the world is, is, like, just 
trying to if i feel like growing things in food is like my gonna be my contribution and like just community i guess is what i'm trying to say is like providing out of the sourcing everything and providing for like the community around me you know just no doubt man i love it i love it so much i love being able to like say that everything on this plate right here came from right here and like this chicken was probably killed three days ago and came from right across the river and like these i get goat ribs lamb sausage and it's all from right across the river it's so good it's so good man and i get I, oh yeah i get eggs from my mom's friends they're like we don't pay for eggs we don't pay for zucchini kale cucumbers mushrooms if we're those um so yeah we're I love it. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. And if enough people did that, it would change overnight. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everything would change overnight. Well, it kind of is. Like, supposedly the small farmers have had the best year they've ever had. Because, like, the supermarkets, it's not a, it, it, like the, the big time producers were able to produce the food, were able to slaughter the animals, but they couldn't get it from place to place because you know big factory farm you gotta you know it's all mono cropping so you're planting one big crop in a field well that wasn't a problem they were able to get that but they weren't able to get it on the truck that would bring it to the processing plant and then the processing plant they couldn't get it to the um, packaging plant and then the packaging plant couldn't get it to the store so there's like all the supply chain broke down it wasn't necessarily the growing or production of food it was the supply chain well if you're getting it from a your backyard, there is no supply chain, except getting your ass off the couch and walking out back and getting it. <laughs> and then, you know, if it's your farmer, then all it is is him bringing it to the to the store. So like, just cutting down the supply chain of, of food is, is so important. I think it kind of highlights the the how inefficient it was what we were doing before anyways and then just the like uh, that farm the heart to heart farms yeah, you know, yeah that we like do the meat trades with and stuff they, they, they do everything open air you know so like there's the, the likelihood of transmission while they're working is so low right. we went out there after the lockdown and got more meat and everybody's just like outside mass processing meat and nice you know it's just simple we um allison grayson and i one of the artists uh-huh. we like do art trade for them and uh we went and got um, like four full alpacas, nice. Uh, and like we processed it all ourselves, and you know, like r- rendered all of the fat, made, turned all the bones into broth, yes. and like cut, turned all the scrap meat into burgers, and used it all. All that, yeah. We we filled up that stand up freezer, and then two days later, they called a national emergency. Wow. So it was like, so we were like the first two months and I was on the carnivore diet then too. So like that first two months, I did not, like we saved so much money on food. Oh, I bet. You know, so it was cool. But yeah, their farms, like you were saying, their farms doing better than ever. That's awesome. That's so good. And it just happened like organically that they were doing better. They didn't have to push for anything. Now that it just was like, because of this, now you're doing better. I mean, it's unfortunate that that's what it takes sometimes, but. Sometimes it takes like a tragedy to kind of push the wheels and, and organically change things. Yeah, man, the essential service thing, like how do you know what's essential until you strip away all the, oh, yeah. you know, everything else exactly. and like, find out what's actually important, you know, like what, what have we strive to do? Like we, 
all the platforms like Twitch and Facebook, you know, the Zoom and to get community, like community became a pretty quick, you know, essential service. Yeah. And, uh, well, out here, we <laughs> was an essential <laughs> service. <laughs> it is everywhere, unfortunately. It's, it's, uh, on the underground. Yeah. It was just funny, like out here, uh, haircuts were illegal, but weed was an essential <laughs> service. <laughs> like the hippies finally the hippies won. won. <laughs> yeah but but that's that's okay i mean uh, i think that covid has been a huge blessing yeah for, uh, sure. for all of us you know i mean it's still tough and it's still hard to navigate and there's still a lot of like interesting things like you know risks and everything but as a whole like we could not have kept going the way we were going and we needed something to slow us down and force a little shadow work and um you know slow down like we just like need to slow down yeah, slowing down is huge, man. So important. Everyone's go, 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 go. Like, this doctor, Dana works for, like, he works, like, six days a week. They work for, like, nine or ten hours a day. I'm like, dude, if you just, like, if everyone could, they, you could work four days a week and you'd be fine and still have your three days off. And I don't know, it's just, it's a lot. But, you know, some, some people love it. I don't know if they love it or they're just addicted. I don't know. I don't think they've known anything else. Yeah, like, they don't even know what it's like. Yeah, yeah. I think that like for a lot of people who had projects and stuff that they've been wanting to work on, it was kind of like a, a finally a, a breath, a, you know, breath of fresh air and space to be able to work on what you wanted to work on. But for a lot of people that have been so stuck in that machine for a while, you know, after a few weeks of quarantine, you run out of the Netflix shows you want to catch up on. You, you've cleaned your baseboards and your <laughs> filters, and you know, you've done everything, and then it's like now what? Like oh. I gotta sit with myself. Yeah. This thing I haven't done, but then everybody's realizing how little time it takes to do their job. They're working from home. They're handling meetings on Zoom. So whatever like little sliver of normal we go back to, it's not going to be the same. The workforce is going to operate completely differently. So many more people are going to work from home, and you know if they go back to their job, like they're kickstarting their their passion projects. Right. You know I've been really stuck on this idea that you know the Renaissance, like the 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 last like you know the the Renaissance started after the Black Plague. Huh. And um, Newton, whenever he went out to that, and I could be butchering this, but Newton, whenever he went out to that farm and the apple fell on his head, yeah. he was quarantining. <laughs> he was getting out of the city to stay on the farm. So like, so that huge explosion, huh. that enlightenment of art and you know, innovation and invention, and, and not just in art and music and everything, but in, in physics and our understanding of the world and reality. Like it, it came out of, the black plague and us having to sit with ourselves. So add, add the internet and add this like, you know, resurgence of psychedelic revolution that we've been, we've been having for a while. And, you know, the festival world, like all of the resources and all of the art and talent that got freed up from the festivals being canceled. And then, you know, like everybody jump starting their little projects and stuff. Like I, I don't, I think 10 years from now, we'll be like, holy shit. Yeah. Look what came out of that quarantine. Right. You know, but it's not something we can know now. We got to wait for the fires to get put out. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many fires. <laughs> like, literally, yeah, last night, like I was saying that, you know, that they were trying to set the courthouse on fire in Portland. And That's crazy. It's, just, it's wild. So, like, the, have you, have you been keeping up with it at all, with uh, the feds and everything? Very, uh, very little. Um, I was pretty hardcore on it, and then I just... It, uh, life got, I don't know, I don't know, life got in the way, or I got, I got so wrapped up in it that I was, 
beginning to lose myself in it. And I became very, like, angry and not in a good way, though. Like, not even angry, like, depressed. Yeah. You know, I wasn't able to function in my day-to-day life. And so I had to, like, step back a little bit and reanalyze with a different perspective and mind frame. Because, like, whenever something like this happens, I, like... I dive all in. I kind of do this with everything. Like I'm at first I'm like gung ho all in and then the, the kind of steam runs out and then I fall back and take a step back and like observe it from a different lens, like a more centered and calm, not, not based on emotions, I guess. And then try to delve back into stuff. So, um, yeah, I've been the past probably day or so I've started to dive back into some of it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what to think of it all. I've, like I said, at first I was all gung ho, and then tried to step back, and just with the the whole Black Lives Matter movement, I'm not, I'm about the the idea and the concept, but I feel like it's kind of been hijacked, and it's almost become about a Marxist ideology. And for me, mm-hmm. I've done so much research in the past couple of years about that whole frame of mind and mindset that I just don't know that that's a good a good path to go down. It's a slippery balancing slope of like things have to change, but they can't change so drastically that we're just on a sinking ship all of a sudden. I mean, we are now, but like it just are we going to sink it faster? I just I don't know. It, it's tough. No doubt. Yeah, I, I, th- I think the movement as a whole is beautiful. And I, I think that what we're seeing is like a combination of a Black Lives Matter thing and like an Occupy 2.0 yeah. kind of thing. And like, I think people are, I mean, because at its core, all the racial inequality, everything, it's all an economic inequality and for a very select few of people. And I think people are turning on to that and realizing that it's, it's not, it's huge about race. And, you know, we, we need to fix these like racial problems. But you're right, the organization itself, and I've seen it on the ground, at the ground level, some organiz- organizers here in Portland, like, you know, some companies have had some issues and stuff, and a lot of people have kind of become the authoritarian problem that they said they were trying to fight. Yeah. And, you know, silencing people, silencing people that they didn't agree with, and, like, you know, like, the freedom of speech that went out the window, and you, know, you have a lot of allies that are there to help you, and it just became very unclear how to help, because no matter what you did, somebody was going to be really mad at the way you did it were you not sensitive enough towards this and i mean like i we did some renegade projection mapping stuff down at the justice center and i went down and like projected out outside of the vans and like a, a mini documentary that one of our friends produced and you know like i went through all of the steps um had the idea for the projecting but i know that we wanted to make sure we had a poc leader a part of our project that way it was like directly coming from leadership and uh, we went through all those steps, we showed up, we did it, and then still a whole group of people were mad about the way that it was approached. So what it's, were just, they mad it's just about? Um, some people were mad about the, the content within the documentary, like whether like uh, part of it focused too much on the police brutality, um, which is triggering for some people, like which I understand, but then there's a whole other like camp of people that say like well like this is why we're here and we can't forget why we're here. Yeah. And, and but then there was another group of people who were mad that it even was loosely associated with the with the organization, uh, because like at the beginning of the organization, somebody was involved that had a past like conviction of some like sexual misconduct, but they didn't know that. And then they they got them out of the organization, but still a lot of people are not letting them ever like live that down and forgive it. So it's just like 
no matter what you do, you're going to make somebody mad. Somebody so can. you just have, yeah. And the way I look at it, like I'm the muse, like has been around way before melanin. Right. You know, like this, whatever it is that I'm listening to spirit, you know, like it's way before skin color. Right. Um, so like I have to look at it all through the lens of like modern context of like, trying to be sensitive to things but ultimately like i have to follow what i'm supposed to be doing yeah. mm-hmm. and at first i was right i was down there every night you know banging up against the fence and you know yelling at cops and <laughs> running running supplies and you know <laughs> like a car chase at one point like it was like and, but i was carrying it with me and um and it was anger like i was carrying that anger yeah. with me and it was like muddying up the art side of things yeah. and like I, I realized quickly that the art was my was my place and I need to step back and kind of zoom out a little bit and I'm still sharing information and I'm still offering support uh, to the protest and I'll be down there one of the next these next couple nights because things have really picked up in Portland since the the feds have gotten to town and it's getting overly politicized and it's getting like really interesting there's a lot of misinformation if you if you're watching it even through other people's live streams compared to what's going on on the on the street you know but just like zooming out the perspective a little bit and seeing that um, there's a much bigger movement going on. There's a much bigger change in the world. And like, it's okay to build the infrastructures and the programs and the, the you know, the courses and stuff to kind of like, like, what are we going to do after all of it? Like the fires get put out? Yeah. You know, like, like we, we need to be able to have a safe container for creative expression and safe container for, you know, the new world and, and, and not just focus on a sinking ship the whole time. Yeah, not just yeah. not just the destruction of it. I think that's a lot of, I mean, if you talk in the context of communist revolutions, that's what happens. Is like, it's all about the oppressor, tearing down the oppressor and uh, bringing up the oppressed and it's us versus them. And then you tear it all down and you're left with ashes. Yeah. Instead of in a, in a power in, vacuum, right? In a power vacuum that's left over for evil communist regimes to move in and take advantage of every single person, worse than the system that was there in place in the first place. So it's, you know, that's what you got to be careful of. It's not. There's no, like you said, there's no focus on building those structures. So whenever something is beginning to come down, then you have something to hop onto. It's like building a boat while the boat's sinking. If the boat is sinking, you can jump onto the new boat. You know, right? Of just like tearing down the boat you're on because you know the captain was a dickhead (laughs) and now you're all gonna sink and die so it's like nothing is accomplished other than y'all are drowning well i think there's a real balancing act of like using the momentum of the whole revolution and the whole movement like not like ignoring it as a as an energy force but like uh channeling it in ways like throughout it like a real transmutation you know like taking that anger and turning into passion using the you know the because like if you, t- if you take out all the theories, if we take out all the, like, what, what we think is going on, all the opinions of what's going on, if you look at what's happening in front of us, peaceful protesters are getting shot in the face with rubber bullets and tear gas. Tear gas sucks. Like, I, I thought it sucked, but then experiencing it, like, it actually sucks. Yeah, I'm sure it's me. You know, and last night, um, and I think it's all a cinematic shit show, but Ted Wheeler, our, our mayor, went downtown because he's like, protesting the occupation of the federal troops, you know, like the federal police in our city. And then he got caught up in some tear gas Hmm. and like some media outlets are making it like, Oh, now the Portland people don't even care that their mayor is getting tear gas with them. He's trying to be with them. And it's still not enough. Like, dude, you've been tear gassing us for 53 straight nights. Like you're the police commissioner. Yeah. 
So it's, it's just, it's really interesting. Like they're trying to act like they're not working with the feds, but nobody buys it at all because he would say so many times that he's going to discontinue the use of tear gas. And then that night people get tear gas. Oh. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's just so skewed and politicized. Well, and, he, you know. yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't have any true control. No, he doesn't. And, you know, if you look at it through any of the live streams, any of the media, you can think something's going on. And that goes left or right, you yeah. know, like the, the extremes. If you read the Portland Mercury, it's going to say something different than Fox News, you know. But um, I will say that from the Portland Mercury is way closer to the truth on this one, like being down there and watching. Like the first couple of nights, I just stood on big pieces of brick or whatever and would watch, you know, watching the black block people start fires and trash cans and watching the peaceful protesters, watching the prayerful protesters, the, the dancing, you know, all this kind of stuff. But the, the violence is provoked 100% by the police, 100%. So if you take out all the theories and the, the movement being hijacked and all this kind of stuff, what is right in front of us is worthy of protesting. Yeah. And like, and how we figure out how to like divert that energy along the way and use the momentum of the revolution to build something new, like you were saying. Um, I, I think the momentum of this is really, really important. It's just yeah. a matter of like, at some point, it's got to ricochet off from where it's going right. at the same time. Yeah, it has to. I, I think yeah. ultimately, like you said, it is about economics. I mean, when it comes down to it, it's about resources. And our, the number one resource is money. It's economics, and because that resource provides you with every other resource that someone needs. So ultimately, it seems like that's what it's coming down to. And this has been coming for a long time, and it's it's not going to get better, in my opinion, especially with all the money that's being printed right now. And like, you can argue to an extent that it's needed and it's necessary, but unfortunately, it's got to this point because you continue to print money, the value of the money is going to go down. And... So ultimately, we're just going to get poorer. And the people aren't seeing that money. Oregon has, has been in a, like, a, like hundreds of thousands of people have not still haven't yeah. got their unemployment. Well, I think uh, that's you, try to call, okay. you try to call the unemployment office and it goes, right, it's busy. Like I've been since April yeah. and I have not been able to get on the phone with someone. Yeah. It took me almost four months to get a payment. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think that's the biggest thing is like with all this money being printed, you know, it's like the whole Occupy thing. Every big corporation, every bank got bailed out and the people got nothing. When the people had gotten ripped off, well, now it's happened all over again. It's like, yeah, they gave us crumbs this time. But then you see like these airlines who are getting billions of dollars to stay open when no one's flying. It doesn't make any sense. Economically, it doesn't make any sense, especially like... I, I, I was reading something, it, was a, it wasn't even in America, it was another airline in, I can't remember where it was, but basically they're, no one's flying, so they're losing money, so now they're asking for money to stay open, and they don't even know that air, air traffic is going to come back for years, so it's like, just, you know, sometimes you just gotta like, let the reins go, and let it, let, let just see what happens, like, let it fail. Like it might be catastrophic at the at, at first, but then you're going to begin to heal. It's like letting a wound heal. You know, you, you have to like pour shit in it and let it burn for it to get better. But if you don't ever let it get better, it's just going to turn into rot and then your leg's going to fall off. Like you got to let it heal. You got to let it crumble a little bit and let it heal. But if you just 
you know, it's, it's a house of cards at the end of the day. And the longer yeah, no the taller you build this card, the worse it's going to be when it falls. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, it's pretty, well, like you're saying, you know, those like small farms and stuff that like we'll pick up and might take up the slack and everything, you know. Um, I mean, I saw something about the Catholic Church, and I don't know if this was in America or somewhere else, got a hundred, uh, like $1.4 billion stimulus. Yeah. They don't pay taxes. Yeah. You know, like there, there's no reason why. And they, they had some loophole about like employees or something about the way they, you know, yeah, but they, like, no, you don't pay taxes. Yeah, they used it to pay lawyer fees. Yeah, I was, you know, we talk about like taxing the rich and we talk about taxing, you know, like trying to figure out how to like pay for stuff. But like it would take $20 billion of like properly allocated funds a year to end world hunger and poverty. Yeah. And just by taxing a fair amount of the church money that comes in, right. we, we would actually end world hunger and poverty. And that, that is faith that's built on charity and like loving each other. Yeah. You know, it's, it's wild. So it's, it's not, a, I don't think we have a money problem. It's just, it's a human problem. No, it's a human problem. It's an existential problem. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, a good versus evil spiritual problem. Right. Right. Well, I mean, and like the kind of illusion of that problem, like personally, I'm kind of getting to the belief that a lot of that is just, it's, it's a dualistic approach of looking at the world. That's not accurate. And that's why I think that like, uh, fixing the problems with human consciousness that caused these problems in the first place is our only way out of it. And why I had to kind of back up. I mean, I'm still passionate about the front lines and I'll, I'll be there to support. And, but, you know, it, uh, I forgot who it was that said this, but like we can clean up the oceans and the rivers and everything, but if we don't uh, fix the problems with human consciousness that littered them in the first place, we're going to be right back in the problem. Right. So, and that's where earth pulse came into kind of came into it for me as a focus because it's, it's just, it's all about self-transformation. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. Like, like how like you talked about that boat. It's interesting because, like, that's the analogy that we use. It's like, okay, this this world is sinking. It's like the Titanic. We got some people still playing violin, still drinking and partying, but there's a handful of people that are like, wait, this this world is going down. We have to find the new, and we have to jump ship. We have right. to like build something new, you know. But we can't take all of our problems that we've ruin this world with into the new space we right. have to clean our vessels and like actually show up in a proper way mm -hmm. yeah 100 percent. yeah i've definitely tried to focus on that just you know it's about self-accountability and self-transformation like you're saying you know at the end of the day like you got to take responsibility for what you're doing in your day-to-day -day life and just trying to clean that up you know i've been trying to do that as far as there for a while, man, it was when this quarantine first went off, man, it was, it was alcohol. It was staying up late. It was eating like shit. It was not exercising. You know, you used like the, you used the quarantine and the virus as an excuse, as cognitive dissonance to do those things. And I did that for a while. And then I realized, wait, like, it's not like next week, this thing's going to be over and then I can go back to something different so i was like i gotta make a change so you know been exercising more been all about these mushrooms and taking care of myself and surrounding myself with things that i enjoy as far as you know going out into nature climbing whatever it is whenever when i'm when i'm you know surrounded by by plants and forests like that's when i'm the happiest and mm. you know sometimes i feel guilty about that because 
you know, other people don't have that opportunity or other people aren't able to do that kind of stuff. And then the guilt comes in, but I don't want to feel guilty for my own happiness. You know, that's, that, that just feeds into the problem. No, no doubt. That, that kind of speaks to that whole concept of like kind of like white fragility a little bit, you know, yeah. kind of guilt and the shame that comes with it and uh, privilege in general. Like, you know, but like it doesn't mean that that we should, you know, not exercise those things. And that but we know what art can do. We know what nature can do. We know what community does and we should thrive in that. And we should just like spend our time educating other people about it and giving them an opportunity, but not to like feel bad about doing it ourselves, right. you know? And I think with the quarantine, like people, you know, like people always talk about, oh man, if I just had a little bit more time to exercise, if I had a little more time to, to meal prep, or like if I, could, if I could just get to that book I wanted to write or something like that. And then, then they're given this time and like a month and a half goes by. And I was like, oh wait, maybe this has nothing to do with time. Maybe this isn't me, yeah. maybe like, I'm not doing showing up the way I need to show up. And then like you were saying, you realize like, oh, I gotta eat better, I gotta, you know, exercise and stuff. And yeah, it's perspective. Yeah, perspective's huge, for sure. I definitely had to yeah. shift it and change it because it was I was going down with the shift and it was no fun. It's not fun. No. It's not fun. Um and to go like real woo or whatever, like I I, I truly see what we're going through is like a cell division you know like there there is two worlds like coming out of this and if you can go on like the quantum level and think like it's like a these two vibrations are getting dramatically polarized and both are going to exist both outcomes are going to happen it's just a matter of which one you step into and right now you're like on the edge of a crack and like you got a foot on each edge and like it just keeps pulling but eventually kind of like that native american idea of like you have two wolves inside you like, yeah. one, like eventually one will eat the other it depends on which one you feed right it's like, are, are we putting our energy towards a new world of health and rejuvenation and sustainability and creation? And are we, you know, acting in the same paradigm of greed and, you know, yeah. all the other stuff? And anger and, and, yeah, that's a good point. Like reactionary communication and stuff. And, you know, like the way that we're communicating with each other on Facebook and, you know, it's, we act like just because we're behind a computer that that's not, you know, that that's not actual real communication. It is, but that's the campfire now, you know, like the campfire used to be where the decisions are made. Now it's on Twitter and Facebook, unfortunately. Yeah. And just the way we communicate with each other is becoming more and more important. And like in the beginning of all the protests, I was so reactionary. I was like getting into these Facebook beefs with people and talking about racism and like, you know, just but like, what does that really do? Like, yeah. And then just, I carried it with me and I was not, you know, showing up in my family or my art the way I needed to. You know, and half the time not, those people don't even, they're just out to, to, you know, piss you off. They're just trolls. Yeah. They're, they're not even real. Like, you think in your head, like, oh, if I just say this one more thing, then this person's going to have this self transformational experience and come out and see everything the way I'm seeing it. It's like, no, dude, that person don't give a fuck. They're probably sitting on their ass drinking some Mountain Dew, just fucking with people. Yeah. They're making funny. memes about owning libs. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to. No, they're not going to do the work. They just have to piss you off. Yeah. That's why, like, I think asking questions is the most potent thing you can do in those conversations. Yeah. You know, like, not try to declare anything, but just, like, raise questions. Yeah. You know, and, like, ask genuine questions. Like, well, if this is like this, then are, are you sure you mean this? And then, you know, like, question sources and cite it. And I've seen a big push in that. People are really a little bit more mindful about what they post. You know, like, did you have any sources cited with it like if you're just spewing off information and like i think 
we're kind of ironing out how to communicate online. Yeah. It's kind of a part of the thing. Like everything's becoming digital. Yeah. And this is a weird transitional phase in between that we're just ironing out the kinks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, we're in the infancy of, of the internet for sure, especially internet communication. Like it's so, so young. We remember it. Like we remember yeah. when it came in. Like I remember the first time the dial tone of AOL, like it was in my house and like, I feel so blessed to be in that middle ground generation that remembers what it was like before, but also understands the importance of it now. Yeah. You know, like on either side, like our parents are sucked into it mm -hmm. because they, they didn't grow up with it. So now it's this new novel thing that like they can't put their phones down, which I know I struggle with it sometimes too, but like, I'm just thinking like, oh, no, like my mom or, yeah, my parents are definitely worse than me with the, with the phone and the technology and the, like, anytime we go out somewhere and like we're waiting around for something it's like boom phone i've noticed it you know i've tried to be conscious of it you know from time to time just like put it down turn it off oh, that's that's important too like when i'm hanging out with my plants <laughs> yeah they, they can communicate enough you don't need a phone oh dude i swear that's like we talk about having property and all this and Dana talks about like getting chickens and stuff. I'm like, I don't want animals. Like, I don't want to take care of animals. Like, granted, I love my dogs, and now we're getting two cats, and like that's Dana's thing. I love it. But like chickens, I don't want chickens. Like goats, I don't want goats. Like I want to grow vegetables because I relate to plants more than I do than to like as far as the farm goes than than animals, dude. I swear, I swear, I have a better relationship with with stuff that grows out of the earth you're basically a cedar tree anyways <laughs> that's awesome well that's cool man i mean goats are pretty funny yeah they're, they're kind of like interesting to watch but i know what you mean and i think that plants are like we have we have no idea the depth of the intelligence of plants and we think just because like we have a central nervous system and we experience pain and suffering in our certain way that we put some type of hierarchy of intelligence yeah. but uh, when you uh, you said you're getting into mushroom foraging and all that and like when you understand the uh the depth of like the mycelial network in the forest and the communication and how the plants are interacting with each other communicating to each other allocating resources and yeah. real you know it's like what like like a a, a tree that you know eating fish like a you know a you know like how the heck yeah, it, it's, wild. it's incredible, man. Yeah, that mycelial network is, is revolutionary, man. I, and I don't think we're discovering this. I think we're we're discovering it, but it's not. It, it's it's known knowledge. It's just resurfacing into our. We're pulling it back out of out of the ether, where it's been for millennia. And there's been civilizations who have known this before us, as far as the power of nature and and the communication between it and the helium network and all this. I just, I think it's been known before and we're just kind of pulling it back out. Like you said, the mycelial network communicating, like they've now discovered that trees use the mycelial network, like you're saying, to, to pass resources and communicate different things to it. And that just blows my mind, man. It's so incredible. And how they redesigned the Tokyo subway system using the mycelial network. They built a replica of the Tokyo subway system threw mycelium into it it grew out through the entire system and then it began to die back into places that it was not using energy efficient so what you were left over was with was the most efficient way to move energy through this 
design. And so that then they redesigned the whole Tokyo subway system using that to move people more efficiently. Like the amount, the amount of stuff we model after nature is incredible. Like it's so amazing. And that information is available to us by slowing down. And, you know, like I, I kind of look at like the archaic revival um, and like the, the Garden of Eden, you know, like the Garden of Eden was this time where we were, you know, the, the myth of it, the story of it is like uh, we were so tapped into nature and everything was perfect and it, we were all like in, in unison. And at some point we were removed from it. And I almost think that it's like agriculture kind of did that. The fact that we like started uh, manipulating the land instead of working with the land. You know, we kind of, we put, we put concrete in between us and that mycelial network. We're no longer connected to it. We started wearing shoes. We stopped like, you know, exchanging yeah. negative ions from the nature and stuff. And eventually we lose that connection to Eden, the garden of Eden, which is like a, a perfect connection with nature and like a, as a part of it, not some type of steward of it, the way we think we are, you know, I think that, that's a kind of one of the fallacies of like the, um, like the Judeo Christian kind of idea of like us being the top of the hierarchy and the, like it's our job to name all the animals and it's our job to tend to it and use them however we see fit, you know, and we eventually disconnected ourselves from it. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I think that, I think all that can be true in a sense of like animals, like we can not use them, but, you know, inhabit the same space and I mean, yeah, use them, but it's gotten to the point where it's, it's a difference between use and abuse. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not like I'm. I eat meat, and but I try to eat it from across the river, and I just think that 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 line between use and abuse has been way overcrossed, and maybe it had to be crossed for us to get to where we are now. But now we have to really, like, all of it's being put forth in front of our eyes. All the consequences of doing that for so long, and yeah, it's it's gotten us to where we are with technology and. And, you know, the Industrial Revolution and being able to provide and bring the poverty line up and all this good stuff has come from it. But now it's like we've reached the, the end of that cycle and it's time to begin to dial it back and rethink the way we're doing things. Um, especially I've been I've been big into watching documentaries about rivers lately, especially with dams. And it's been incredible to the amount of dams that have come down, they're beginning to take down dams in the past probably 10 years, five, 10 years, and now it's really ramping up. And dams were a great thing for a while. You know, it provided a lot of power and electricity for a lot of different people. Well, now we have other ways and means to gain that power. And we've realized that we don't need those dams. And we've realized the destruction that those dams have actually caused to the rivers especially the salmon populations. Salmon populations have been depleted in our rivers, especially in the Pacific Northwest. Some of the biggest dams in our country are up there, and the, best, the big, biggest salmon runs are up there. And they noticed that as soon as you put a dam in, the, salmon pop, the, the wild salmon population began to go down. And so they opened up hatcheries where they would take these fish, they would have them in this industrial-like system, they would squeeze the eggs out, squeeze the sperm out, they would put it together artificially, and then they would hatch all of these fish. But the idea was, okay, if we breed more fish, put more fish into the water, we'll get more fish when they return. Well, that's not what was happening. Because these fish that are created in these industrial-like pools have weaker immune systems, weaker gene population, because it's less, there's less diversity 
there's less biodiversity amongst the fish. And so we're beginning to realize that, that you need that biodiversity among the fish populations for them to be healthy. And so whenever you see wild fish in the store, it might not actually be wild fish. It might be hatchery fish that was released into the wild and then they got back. They only, re they only received a small percentage of those fish back because they go out into the wild and they're, and they're weak and they die off. But because of sheer number of them, they're able to out-survive the wild fish. So our wild fish population is declining and the fish population itself is getting weaker. And so as soon as they remove these dams out of these waters, the, fish, the wild fish populations begin to go up because those fish are able to travel that water. And it's a known correlation. Dam goes in, wild fish population down. Dam goes, take away dam, wild fish population returns. And it only takes like a couple of years for them to return in abundance of numbers. How like resilient these salmon are. And it's so fascinating that we're, we know this now. We've known it for a little while and there's scientific studies now. But those dams are protected by big money, and so it's a fight to get them taken down. But it's happening, and it's awesome. And our rivers are coming back. And it's beautiful, and nature comes back quick. It doesn't take much. So quick. Yeah, I mean, look what quarantine did to air quality in places, yeah, the exactly. rivers in Venice, and you know, um, it really makes you wonder. Like, you know, we, we we say that technology got us to a certain point, but it's getting us to the point where we realize things were perfect already. Yeah. You know, like, like how, how good was it that we did, you know, we had technology, you know, and, which is, it's great and stuff, but like that, like with the rivers, the dam example, like, you know, it messes with the fish population, but then what does that re reduction of fish population do to the local ecosystems? Like the, they're not eating a certain bug and then that bug isn't doing this to the plants and it yeah. causes coastal erosion, whatever river that, that, uh, the, the, you know, wherever that river used to come out into the ocean that then now there's coastal erosion there and then that that affects those fish populations it affects the coral reef and then it goes out like the effect of a dam is not just like right there you know it, it's a domino effect and we've been piling up these domino effects and kicking these problems down the road for so long and just like you know chalking it up to profit over people or profit over you know animals and stuff and i think we're now getting to that point you know with the house of cards example yeah, like well, everything is yeah it's interesting you even bring profit into the equation because when they take these dams out, guess what happens to fishing profit? Way up. They go up. So right. the profit thing isn't even a valid argument in this situation. Like it's it's incredible what happens whenever you just let nature take care of it, give it back to nature. And like one, someone per summed it up at one of the end of these documentaries so well. They were like, I think it was the guy, the creator of Patagonia. He was just said something like, we just need to leave nature the fuck alone. And it, and it just came back. And like you're saying, like it affects so much other stuff. The orca population has depleted since we began putting in dams because the salmon went there. There's only like 77 orcas left in the Pacific Northwest. And the orca and the salmon were like Native American gods. You know, these Native American populations survived on salmon. That is what they judged everything on. That's how they ate, you know, and that's that's how the world ran for them. And so it's just it's incredible that the seed of the the spark of it come back, and like the Native American populations have done an incredible job on spreading awareness about that and, and and getting these dams removed. And someone was saying, you know, you don't. It's not that. And this is the balance between you know extreme and extremes is like. 
it doesn't mean go remove every single dam in the world. You know, some dams are necessary and we can manage some dams being necessary that it's not going to affect fish populations and all this kind of stuff. But every, you know, all of them out there don't need to be there. And a lot of them aren't even in use anymore. They're just sitting there hmm. just damming up a river and they're not even producing any electricity. <laughs> well, they, they might have already like transitioned into wind or solar or something like that. Well, someone was saying like that there's there's a dam i think it's in oregon and there's like four windmills up on the hill and the four windmills create more electricity than the dam did <laughs> so I was like, what, the, what the hell we've moved on but like let's get them out of there you know yeah we're insane we're insane well i think a lot of this speaks to kind of the you know the protests and stuff you know people have been protesting these environmental stuff for a long time and that's a lot that's probably a lot of the reason why a lot of these dams are being removed yeah. i mean I, when i when i was in salt lake i was i studied the river stuff especially in uh, patagonia like uh you know down there they were trying to dam up some of these beautiful rivers that would have completely destroyed the ecosystems for a lot of these indigenous people and you know like so we've been you know we protested standing rock and now and it leaked Yep. multiple times into these water supplies. But look what just happened. The federal judge ordered for them to stop production of oil and they have to remove the pipelines. Yeah. So, you know, that, a, that's what it took. But right. At least, yeah. it, at least it, it took. Right. Exactly. So I think that like everybody plays a role, you know, like there's the people at the front, you know, yelling and stuff and raising awareness and, and, uh, and the downstream effect of that like we're talking about the rippling effect and the domino effect is, is huge. You know, you put pressure on lawmakers, you put pressure on, you know, public interest and the money, you know, yeah. I think ultimately if we put enough pressure on the money, things fix overnight. If we all yeah. stopped ordering so much from Amazon, we would, we would help our local economies. If we stopped giving money to the fuel companies, we would, you know, see more electric cars, you know, that, yeah. that type of thing. Yeah. The power of the dollar is ultimate power. No doubt. It needs to be power of crypto. Yeah. Right. Play. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Had yeah. a nice little pop the other day. I don't know what yeah. it's sitting at now. Dude, Chainlink is one that has like really shown like I think like three hundred percent profit over the last like couple months or something. Damn. I heard Data Dash was talking about it. You know, Nicholas Merton or whatever. I think I put like a couple hundred dollars into Chainlink. You know, just like like allocated some stuff over there, like two fifty, and now it's at like eight hundred dollars. Nice. You know, and that's like during a you know a recession part of that market. You know. It's, yeah. So but it's there. Watch for another little crypto pop when the second stimulus check comes around. Right. Is there going to be? Because that would be cool. Yeah, they decided <laughs> on it. They decided on it today um, that there will be a second stimulus. It's probably going to be less than 1200 And the parameters to get it, you have to earn like less than forty grand a year. Okay, no problem. Cool. I think it's like, it's more of like a focused stimulus bill to help like, restaurant service industry basically who's been one of the hardest hit sectors is the service industry yeah, that and entertainment too yeah and entertainment so yeah. it's like kind of targeted at those groups um and then there's a possible unemployment extension but not sure about that yet if i could just get the unemployment I, well one good thing <laughs> is that <laughs> i think the extension that's cool if i had got the original i know that one good thing is if you, when you finally do get it they back pay you for all yeah. the weeks so all of a sudden it's Christmas. Yeah, you know. That's what happened with me? Um, yeah. I hope that because the 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 six hundred dollars ends at the end of the month, the extra six hundred stimulus that you get along with your unemployment ends at the end of July. So hopefully, one if you can get it, make sure you get back paid because hopefully they'll 
they'll give you the $600 on top of your unemployment for those back pay because it was during that period. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, because I got, I got back paid a few weeks. Uh, as it, like, so I got allocated 17 weeks, and if I would have waited to not – if I didn't back pay, I got back paid like three weeks. If I didn't get those three weeks at the, at the end, I would have gotten it – or at the beginning, I would have gotten it at the end, and then it would have only been my unemployment payment. It wouldn't be the $600 on top of it, but because I got back paid during the period that that was a thing, the CARES Act. So yeah, I would just try to make sure you can get it back. Like Utah, Utah has been okay. That's who I've been doing it through. They've got a thing on their website. It's a live chat feature. Oh my god! You don't have to call them, which is makes it so much better. So I, you, if you get it on there, like as soon as it opens, you get in line and you're on in 25 minutes talking, chatting with someone. And if you say the right things, you can usually get them to call you. Whoa! Yeah. So I was fortunate enough to end up getting people to call me. And then I had applied for the, the, the PUA or whatever, the other one where if you couldn't get unemployment, then you got this other thing. Well, I had applied for that, and the guy actually called me. And so then I had a direct, a direct line to someone who could help me. It was so epic. But, it, man, it was freaking months of a headache. For me. It was miserable. Dude, Oregon, like, there are people trying all kinds of creative ways to get on the phone. Like I heard somebody say that they found the number – for like the Filipino line because like the people who do like trans like they for people who translate but because that <laughs> that one isn't being used very much they were able to get through that but because they're translators <laughs> they know they also speak English so they right. would fake be like oh yeah I, didn't, I don't know how I got through this line but can you help me and then they're not doing much so they'll like get through that way like there's Facebook groups people trying to share information like how did you get through like you know it, yeah. it's dude I've spent hours and hours and hours on the phone I've gotten up in the morning I've made coffee and that's what I'm gonna do that day is call yeah. unemployment all day I oh. keep getting the same dial tone the same letter in the mail saying that something wasn't right I need to restart my claim you know like I got accepted for the PUA but then now they say I need to restart my claim and you need to call somebody but then you can't get anybody on the phone like uh, apparently Oregon has handled it the worst out of any other state and there's even like employees that have come out and said like yeah the first couple of weeks we just sat around we didn't do anything like they're, they're just they, they're still not they weren't and still aren't taking it seriously so there's like hundreds of thousands of people in Oregon who have not been able to get on there yet and especially gig workers you know like yeah, yeah it's it's unbelievable I mean all the in entertainment industry you know like our whole festival season that's where we make our money that's right. you know live events that's where we make our money and yeah. um everything was canceled yeah you know so it's not like we're trying to like get over on the government it's like no this is legitimately how we made our living well and fuck that get over on the government they've been stealing from us forever so yeah <laughs> for sure that, in my opinion that's my money no no doubt you're giving it to billionaires like the billionaires have made more money during this pandemic and like granted i know a lot of it is like just the flow of dollars and we've we've given a lot of money to amazon because we've ordered a lot of stuff from amazon we, yeah you know but that was also their choice to close small businesses and small businesses have taken such a hit. And of course we're going to buy more from target and buy more from all this other stuff when nothing else is open. Yeah. It's the only place open. Right. So who knows? This shit's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I definitely don't know. No. And, and what's going to be interesting is the ramifications of all this and like even two, three, four years down the road. I mean, this this is this is not going to be like, oh, okay, well, it's 2021, you know, it's fresh start, everything's good, ready to go. That's what drives me crazy when people are like, I'm so done with 2020, like, let's go 2021. I'm like, 
the, the fucking we're the only people who know that it's 2020 we're the only things <laughs> that know that it's 2021 like the economy doesn't go oh, okay well you know it's new year let's start fresh here it's an imaginary transitional line like like a boundary yeah. you know yeah it's like, no <laughs> shut up it doesn't matter what year it is the shit's gonna keep going and it's gonna get worse like, you well, know, yeah, election it's gonna get oh well yeah we haven't gotten to the freaking election that's gonna be a freaking shit show because we got freaking dementia patient a versus nursing home patient b who you know has dementia too so you know fuck it yeah i, I think um two things with that i think one we should just focus on human innovation and i, I really believe in human creativity and innovation and like we're going to be like water you know you can build up a dam and we're going to flow around it well you know we can just water it doesn't matter where you put it it always erodes what it, what it's over you know and like we're going to find our way around this stuff you know and brett weinstein you know he came up with uh have you heard about the unity 2020 plan yeah that's interesting you know and if they got enough steam they've done all the polling and you know, whether or not it can actually take votes away from trump or votes away from Biden, like they've done all the studies and think that it would be a pretty even split of taking votes away and has a real chance of working. And it just sounds like such a reasonable approach right. to kind of get our way out of it, you know? Makes too much sense. Too much sense for it to work. And, so you is know, he saying, is he saying like, when he says draft, he says draft people. So like, how do you go about that? I don't know. Well, he already has two candidates in mind. And like, oh, yeah, it, he does. you're right. And, and I think it's just a matter of like asking them, like, look, we need this. Can you do this for us? Yeah. You know, like, like, I, like I, I truly think if enough people ask Joe Rogan to be president, like he would do it, you know, but like, oh. but, yeah, but you know, the, the, the person that should be president doesn't want to be president. Like, right. nobody that's why would you, you know, want to why would you want to that's why i like andrew yang because he looked at it from an entrepreneurial problem solving perspective like he mm -hmm. he was problem solving his way up to fix these certain things and realize that he should be president yeah. and you know that, and that's why brett has chosen him for the the center left option for the unity 2020 and then i forgot the name of the colonel on center right but somebody that's also highly respected by moderate democrats right. and just the idea of them making all the decisions together they have to make the decisions together. And then if they get reelected, switching the role from president to vice president, it just seems like so it could be. Yeah. It, so I was look, I was thinking about it. So it could be 16 years of those two people. No, it, it could be well, like a eight still, but like after four years, they would have to switch, you know, the, the vice president would have to be the president after oh, that okay. because they, they make all the decisions together until um, there's either a stalemate between their decision making in which you, yeah. uh, you know, the president would make the decision president. or in like last minute decisions, the president would make a decision. Right. I didn't know if, cause if like, if you're the president, say you're the president for four years and then the other guy wins the next four, can he, he picks that guy as his vice president. Right. So that, that they're running as a team again, but that, it's just with the assumption of knowing that it would, that it would be switched. Right, so doesn't that mean, like, if you're the president for the first four years and the vice president for the next four years, can you be the president for the next, the four years after that? I don't know, that's interesting. Or can you, or does it have to, like, because you can be president for eight years. Huh. So can you be president for eight years and then vice president for eight years? And the vice president, that was vice president for eight years, is now the president for eight years, and that's 16 years of that team. Wow, yeah, I think that that would have to get ironed out. For yeah, sure. I don't. I don't know how that works. I'm sure it's already written into the. Into the I'm sure Brett thought of that. That genius bastard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know he's in Portland. He. Uh, yeah, that's where his studio is, right? 
Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, he's him and his brother. I don't understand how those two people came from the same person. Like, right. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. And I, I think about Eric a lot when I think of, like, Newton during the first, um, you know, during the, the Renaissance. You know, like those those guys are the ones that are going to be those like the physicists and the the you know the evolutionary biologists coming up with all the new theories on how we change everything. Like yeah. Unity twenty twenty, or um, you know, in Eric's theory of geometric unity, it's interesting they're both about unity. But um, heard that one. Uh, you ought to dive into it. I, I was a part of their Discord group to possibly like do some art because they were looking for artists to kind of paint pictures and stuff to kind of like you know art is such a powerful way of uh, explaining far out concepts to people yeah um but i couldn't get it i couldn't under, I, I can't understand it and any anytime i watch a video of him explaining it to somebody and they're trying like okay eric like to a ninth grader how do you explain <laughs> this and then he goes off on some tangent like dude eric you he needs a translator, like yeah. yeah, like a mediator to the dummies of us. You know? Yeah, someone who can take his concepts and like, you know, not dumb them down, but make them digestible. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, but his theories could potentially have implications on space travel, and I, he thinks Whoa. we should leave the planet, and he thinks he can break the Einstein speed limit using some new theory of geometric unity that he has. It like okay. ties in a lot of theories of physics into this one thing that could potentially be like huge. Whoa. Yeah, it could like, yeah, break Einstein's speed limit and be able to travel to other places. It could get us off of this planet and into a new a, a new place, literally. Yeah, with Elon, Elon, well, Elon's gonna do that for sure. Yeah, like a combination of like his physics and then Elon's technology and you yep. know, well, yeah. separate from political and profit-based influence, you yeah. know, like that's, that's gonna be huge. Well, if we ever want to travel to stars, we have to get away from combustible engines. That's not the way it's done. Right. Like Which is interesting about all the... That might get us to Mars, but it's, it's like, it's just not feasible. Like, we got to oh, figure yeah. it out. We got to figure it out. And, and you know, like with Bob Lazar reverse engineering that technology, and that's where it's starting. And, you know, like it's got to be some other way of bending time, space time, to travel well, through it. Well, that anti-gravity stuff, it does bend light. You know, it bends like, it, it, yeah, that, that could be our way out. And they could have been testing it the whole time. And that's why we're seeing all that weird stuff in the sky. You know, like whether or not it's actually aliens from somewhere else or we're testing technology that we're trying to get a hold of before implementing it, you know, to get yeah. off of this planet. Who knows? But yeah, that yeah. podcast was interesting. I, I really think the next year, as far as disclosure, there's going to be a lot. Yeah. kind of bubble up, you know, whether or not it, yeah, like I said, it could be our government testing stuff or it could be legitimate technology from somewhere else. Right. Or like the Bob Lazar thing, technology that was found here in an archaeological dig. Yeah. And, and that fits in with so much ancient text. Yeah. You know, like the, the Thoth and the Emerald Tablets and, and one of the tablets, it talks about like how his ship was buried under the right paw of the half cat, half man. Yeah. And then you think of the Sphinx and you think of ancient Egypt and Apparently, some of the, you know, I'm probably butchering this, you know, just, uh, you know, but the things that they use to read the ground underneath that, you know, like the seismic stuff that they're able to study archaeological sites before actually digging doesn't pick up what's under the Sphinx. Hmm. So that means like it's bending whatever. Yeah, it's not, it's not able to be detected because it doesn't want to be detected. Right. So it could potentially actually be a ship under there, you yeah. know. Yeah, and to think that we're like the most advanced civilization that's ever lived here is so short-sighted and like our scope of history is so 
Yeah, look at you it. Know. Stupid. Yeah, like <laughs> if getting to Mars is our only accomplishment, you know, like but then we've destroyed our planet in the meantime. We have a debris field of trash around our planet. So if you were going to shoot a satellite into the air, you have to time it where there's a hole big enough in the debris of trash around our planet. It's insane. Yeah. It's, it's, it's insanity. Or, well, the good thing is we're realizing it. I mean, like you say, yeah, we got to clean it up, but then we got to not do it anymore. And fix the problems in human consciousness and right. build those platforms and, like, offer those containers for people to actually, like, fix themselves, you know? You know, and, like, so we just have to focus on those projects, like, and, and that kind of stuff, you know? Like, so, yeah, we'll see. Sure. So, tell me a little bit more about this Earth, Earth Pulse Collective, man. And, and like, I've, I've read pretty much the entire website, and I've watched quite a few videos and listened to the doc, or to the podcast, and it sounds, sounds like a really monumental project. It's not just, you know, a group of artists hanging out, talking to people. It's you know, there's a vision behind this, an ultimate vision of buying land and creating a community where these healers can live and heal people and, you know, community. At the end of the day, it's building a community um, for the new world, as you put it. Um, you know, just, it sounds, sounds sick. It sounds really cool. It's, it's truly the most aligned I've ever felt working on something. Uh, right now, I feel this like undercurrent to, to reality right now. And uh, we're, you know, we're like Polly, the uh, co-founder of it, she's co-owner of it, is, is staying with us right now and we're working on it every day. Um, I guess I'll kind of go into the history of it briefly and kind of what we wanted it, originally wanted it to be. Um, Holly, a little bit of her background, she's a healer, has been traveling, she traveled around with the Hare Krishnas for a year and a half. She toured India for six months. She's been in medicine ceremonies. She's facilitated you know, Bufo, Ayahuasca, like highly trained in all of those fields and, and her individual practice is a healer and a life coach and has clients and she helps guide people through their personal and spiritual development. And which is a, a field that I wasn't aware of that like so much money was generated and so much like there's such a need for that type of thing. And um, I met her at Imagine Festival last year uh, through a friend and she was sitting in the live painting zone um, with me and somebody came in and had their experience with the art and had their conversation and when, when they left she was like you know you guys are doing the same thing as artists you know like you're you're holding space for people through their transformational experiences and like the, the art is the real guru in that situation it has nothing to do with the uh with the artist it's it's the you know the, the container of the festival people come in and they're their heart open and they're they're receptive to the message and then they they come in contact with the art that is a pure transmission of that of that code and that message and they just complete outpour of their life and you know and, and I wasn't aware of that I thought you know we're just there for the, the, the fun and the party and I knew art was important but I didn't quite internalize the importance of it until those type of interactions started happening and she kind of highlighted that she's like you know you guys are also healers and you guys are doing this but you just you're doing it subconsciously mm -hmm. so this vision of what she wanted to do married art in that moment and married creative expression as a huge central point to the project so when she came back to Portland, stayed for three weeks, and we kind of like vision boarded this idea of Earth Pulse as a retreat where you can come and like heal all of your inner work, but then process it through creative expression. And then uh, she went down to Guatemala uh, for Momentum Collective. It's like a movement and circus kind of aerial type, you know, art collective. And um, she went to this golden temple down there in Guatemala and met Dylan, Dylan Lyons, who's a, he's now the co-owner of it. So her and Dylan are the ones like, 
uh, spearheading this. Um, I'm the art director and like teaching some modules and stuff. But then them, them two, they're the they're the self help. They're the uh, you know the, the healers of the of the craft. And um, he left his house when he was 18, packed up his bags, traveled around, was homeless for like three years, doing you know uh, just traveling around and got picked up by a neuroscientist, one of the top neuroscientists in the country at the time, got out of the field, was uh, kind of rubbed wrong by the modern medicine approach to everything and started studying alternative medicines, holistic approaches and picked up Dylan and they traveled the world together for a few years and just meditated together for hours every day, studying human consciousness and how to work your way through like traumas and everything. And uh, Dylan also is uh, big into mushroom ceremonies and helping navigate people through that, cacao ceremonies he's worked with, cacao shamans you know just so they're both really well versed in different types of approaches to healing yourself so that's them two getting together is really what kick-started everything for what it was and then then covid happened which the idea of a land and retreat and everything became like this far out thing like how are we going to make this happen but then by some divine thing ended up they ended up in utah with this guy named michael drew who is a marketing guru like he's put helped put over like a hundred something books on the New York times bestseller list and spearheaded all these projects. It usually costs a lot of money to even sit down with them. And they're uh, staying in his house for three days. And this guy is like taking on the project as his own. And uh, we basically came up with this process to get it out there to put it online as an online coaching module. Um, and there's, there's companies like Mind Valley and Commune that kind of have these same things. You pay for membership online and you get to go through these courses of like self development and spiritual development and stuff. But what separates Earth Pulse, our idea is that we are the messy artists of spiritual and personal development. So, and you get a, you get a coach throughout the process. So you take a four month, 32 module course. It goes anywhere from death and rebirth to like meditation, the science of group meditation. I'm going to be teaching that one and like Zen and creative expression you know like healing trauma doing like inner child work and like just like at its core it is an artistic enterprise Mm -hmm. but we don't teach art we teach the clearing out of the vessel that is the artist you know exactly exactly so like you know one thing i noticed whenever i became a full-time artist is that it didn't solve my problems i kept thinking that you know you and i were bartending together when i just had to be a full-time artist and it ate me up and i lost sleep over it but then like i was like painting at a show and like it was like bass nectar and you know i was painting and it was like it's like everything was perfect but there was still emptiness and i realized that like that's when the work started mm. and just because you're an artist you know you, you have to clean the vessel so that the purest things can come through so this idea of like sending everybody through an online course um and then clearing the vessel out so then you can show up to the world with whatever, with whatever you want because art is subjective you know your art could be opening up a coffee shop your art could be finding a new way of horticulture that actually helps save the river, you know, the population of fish in the river or something like that, you know, but you have to do the inner work first. Right. And so like, that's what earth pulse has kind of grown to. And the idea of raising money for, for it to get started was to actually get the first round of coaches to come in and pay half price to get your four month of remember program. And also an extra four months of facilitator training. So we actually take you through the whole program, you uh, go th- and I get to go through the program too and be a coach myself. So I'm really excited about that level of like, and Chelsea's doing it too, you know, cool. she's going to quit nursing through it. Awesome. And, um, you know, and the idea is to take all of these artists, people that have already wanting to like get out of the main thing 
through the program and then use that money to put into this Michael Drew's marketing funnels and create all these marketing funnels online through YouTube, search engine optimization. We're using the podcast as a funnel, creating mini courses online to get people into the Remember program and then paying those artists to be coaches, to guide people through the same Remember program and pay them well. Yeah. So that like, like, you know, I think it's 125 an hour and you talk to the same client one hour each week. Right. So if you work four hours, you're on the phone for four hours, that's $2,000 a month. Yeah. You know, so then like, and then it frees you up to do your art. So right. we want to get artists who are involved in something else and they just need the financial freedom and a little bit of space to breathe to be able to do the things that they want to do in the world and show up the, the way they want to show up. You know, and then the idea is to still get that land. And we're, we're looking at Ecuador. Like we might actually buy, you know, a year and a half from now, split our time between here and Ecuador. Um, if that's where the, the land ends up getting, but, but to get on the land, you would have had to gone through the program. Mm -hmm. So then you get to the land and we're all clean vessels. Right. And we just have the space to create we, it's, it's a healing sanctuary. We will still do, we'll do ceremonies. Like, and we've, we've stepped back from the psychedelic and the medicine part for the online course. We've removed it from our lingo. I mean, okay. you know, because, uh, and then wherever we choose land, there's going to be a lot of like political and legality stuff with medicines. Like you can actually do the medicines there yeah. and openly like talk about it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, but once we get there, you know, we'll have, we'll have lectures, we'll have, uh, you know, uh, art retreats, we'll have, uh, you know, medicine ceremonies, we'll have a festival, we'll have, you know, a constant living art sanctuary that, but once you get there, you're a clean vessel, right. you know, and it'll just be this beacon of light that is untarnished by, you know, all the stuff that we carry with us, you know, I mean, it's always going to still be there. We're always going to have little stuff, but uh, Holly and Dylan operate on the belief that your healing path doesn't have to uh, continue all the time. You can just be healed. And that's like the, the basis of enlightenment, like the, 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 the illusion of enlightenment that you have to, that it's something to reach, that it's something to strive for instead of realizing that everything is perfect, exactly the way it is. It's all playing into this, uh, this bigger machine and you're fine and you're good no matter what you went through you're good and yeah. it's just like taking the old ideas of spiritual development that kind of the kind of that planned obsolescence that is our iphone you know like we get yeah. the new charger this breaks just around the time that your warranty's up is when it breaks you know and it's like it's all timed in this is a way out of that paradigm of spiritual development it's like you know let's let's be healed for real right. and then show up for real you know, which is kind of like buying from your local farmer. That's anarchy. Yeah. You know, like it's all anarchy. And I think that like building the new ship, you know, it's like, it's the new boat. It's like, you know, the world is sinking. Let's get on this new boat and go over here. Yeah. You know, but there's, it's work and you're you going to do through, the work. Yeah. And, and, and it's going to be dark at night and it's going to be cold and you're going to have to face your shadows and uh, deal with some very uncomfortable stuff and like yeah. break through some barriers and, you know, I don't know what all they have planned for this, uh, for, for the program and stuff, but I like, I know there's some interesting things in there around each individual blocks and stuff. Like, you know, like I'm not much of a dancer or something, mm -hmm. but I called when that Chelsea was saying, Oh, they're going to have you dance, <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's like just break through your own personal stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Let go um, of that ego. Yeah. And you know, the more I work on this, the more I talk about it, the more, like the progress that gets made, the, the more aligned I feel. So I just truly feel in my heart that it is exactly what we need. And, and it's not just us that's doing stuff like this. I mean, like, this is the only thing like this that I know of, but, um, 
you know, like the feeling like I need to be down on the front lines every night. Yeah. That that feeling, you know what I mean? Like this is the front lines also. Right. Like, you know, 100%. yeah. Like, you know, the, those farmers that are out there, like, you know, open air processing chickens, cutting down supply lines. That's the front lines. Yeah. You know, and then this is my front line, the artist. And, um, and, you know, art has, is the only thing art and teaching, I think are going to be the most important, you know, archetypes in, in this like revolution, this change, this shift. And, um, we, we have to empower the artists to be able to do so. A lot of our, what we want to teach is that, the idea of the starving artist, that the scarcity mindset of the creative is, is designed that way. We're supposed to be kept in this state of uh, scarcity and hunger and loneliness. You know, and when I, when I first got into the art, I got into art, I, I, I kind of romanticized that a little bit. Like I kind of romanticized the sad, you know, the, 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 um, the Van Gogh who yeah, like, yeah. painted his last painting and then put a shotgun to his chest. Right. You know, like, you know, like that, that's this, it's romantic and it's a yeah. martyr, you know, Absolutely. but we don't, but then I started painting at festivals and I was like, wait, we're partying. Yeah. These people are sad. <laughs> yeah. They're not sad and they're we're selling sad. art, you know? And like, and it took, like I got out of art school and never knew about this world of thriving artists that's happening. And they, I'm in art school studying it and they're traveling left and right past me heading to the next gig, Yeah, you know? And there's just, there's ways around it, like water. We gotta be like water. You know, you can build up laws, you can put up regulation, you can whatever. You can even damn us, but we're just going to keep rising and keep joining, and the body of water is gonna get bigger and bigger, and then a big enough rain is gonna come that we're gonna tear down the dam. Like, and you know, then that's what COVID is. That's what um, you know. You've been built. You've been damming us up as a collective for a long time, making us think we should live in scarcity, making us think that we're not abundant, that we don't deserve abundance. But the rains came, and now everything's overflowing, and like we're we're seeing the potential for a new world. Yeah, that's you know. So so Earth Pulse is just like a way of. Um, I mean, it's global. I mean, like the amount of people. Like we gave ourselves three months to recruit forty coaches, right? Um, we filled up the 40 in two weeks Wow! and from all over the world. And we're already halfway filled for the second round of a, a smaller second round of coaches. will start teaching in January. Wow. So, I mean, and I think that's going to be it. Yeah. It's happening quick. It's happening quick. And the amount of people and the amount of healers that have shown up, you know, people who've been sitting in ceremony and doing real work, healing lots of people for a long time are jumping on board and they're, they're ready to do it, you know, and, and, and I didn't even, I just didn't know there was a market for this, you know, I didn't know that there was a, you know, so many people would spend so much money on their personal and spiritual development, you know, because like, there's this kind of taboo about money and, and, you know, yeah. when it comes to spiritual stuff. And, and I think that that's a part of the illusion too, you know, like, you know, healers and artists deserve abundance as well. And, and it's not so much, and it's so, but it's because we're the ones that will spread it. Yeah. I see, you know, and I'll shout out to Rolando, an art curator that like taught me everything for the most part when I went to my first festival. Like I bought something from him. I paid him cash and I watched him take some of that money and go give it to another artist, you know, and like wow. to, to the raffle and just that idea of community, like artists and healers are the ones that would share it. Mm -hmm. So yes, we need and deserve the money. Absolutely. Because we're the ones that are going to spread it around, you know, well, and you're um, providing, you're providing a valuable product and service. So you deserve something in return and money in it isn't inherently bad because then it's, it's like we were saying earlier, it's a means to other resources that you can then provide even more for yourself and others. No doubt.
continual thing. You know, we have in our mind that, oh, money is bad. It's, it's, it's not money that's bad. It's what you do with it and how you put it to use. It's, it's the problems with the human experience and like you know it's our consciousness that has the flaws it's not the money money is energy right you know it's like like what we're doing with energy if, if we were trading chickens there'd be one bastard with all the chickens and you know and the chickens would go to waste because that guy's stingy you yeah. know so and that, that's why we need to focus on the parts of ourselves and you know it kind of like you know and it's <laughs> the name is so taboo in all these conversations, but like Jordan Peterson, you know, he talks about like, make your bed before you try to change the world, clean your room. Clean your and room. people make fun of that and they snub yeah. that so much, but like, try it. Yeah, well, those are the same people out there that are destroying the wrong things and yelling about all the wrong things. And they go home and their vessel is a mess. And they've right. got cobwebs everywhere and their bed is unmade. And, you know, there's shit all over the floor and, and, you know, then you go out and you blame every, everything else for all of your problems. When if you just did the work on yourself and cleaned up your own room, some of those problems would begin to be fixed. You know, some of them, not all of them, but some of them would. And then, you know, you're going to be better able to take on those problems that are outside of yourself. No, no doubt, man. For sure. And if enough people did that, that's the change because each one will ripple out slightly. Yep. You know, so it, it'll, it'll just compound, you know, and like build those waters up, you know. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm ultimately, I'm extremely optimistic about everything. More, more than I, I mean, I, I used to think it was more idealistic and more like, uh, I guess, what's the word? Naive. Yeah. There was a, a naive approach of my optimism for a long time, you know, but um, I think that the patterns always show the same thing patterns are always true and they, and they stay consistent and the patterns are the creative expression wins every time humans will always innovate our way out of something yeah. if we don't destroy ourselves first in which case if that happens it'll happen quick and then we'll be you know and some and, will survive and then and some will survive. the people who know how to grow food will help those who aren't able to and then the whole thing starts all over again which i believe it's happened before but no, totally. there have been societies built up societies have been destroyed they rely on those who are able to get by with nothing but the earth beneath their feet and you go again. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's like the worst case scenario yeah. is that it's a new world with people that like have actually the wherewithal and they, they, the, the hunter gatherers and people who've been saving seeds and building smaller communities and stuff like that, you know, like that's the worst case, which is still okay for the planet. The planet will heal. But I think even now in our situation with the industrial problem we have, with the financial and economic problems we have, like I'm still optimistic about, about, about what we're doing. I think that so many solutions are coming to the surface. Like, you know, cr creativity in mathematics is a response to chaos. Yeah. You know, like novel things don't spread out or don't like split off until there's chaos and a right. need for problem solving. You know, and like right now we have so many problems to solve and I trust in human ingenuity and I trust in spirit to like provide, you know, whatever you want to call it, spirit, you know, like I've lately I've been on this kick of like trying to demystify the word God, mm -hmm. you know, because like whatever that is, that underlying structure, you know, Peterson says it's a dramatic representation of the underlying structures of consciousness, mm -hmm. you know, and if you think about it that way, it kind of takes that like, you know, judgmental white bearded man in the clouds kind of out of it and it's this underlying structure that supports everything and it responds to human attention and emotion and um you know it's just it's a little more complicated <laughs> you know yeah. but it's supportive 
and and I think that's where faith comes in. You know, like these these concepts that have been kind of hijacked by uh, like a toxic religious ideologies and stuff. You know, but it's all real. It was a way of us navigating reality, and I think that there are these structures that are beautiful and they're supportive. And if we have faith, it responds to the faith. You know, and it works. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it always, you know, like we said, nature has a way of ironing it out no matter what, and we are of nature. So, so you know, I think things, although they may get worse, they will get better. Yeah, I fully believe that. And it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier, the archaic revival, like reconnecting back to um, the mycelial network and, you know, realizing our connection to it again, like that's going to get us out of this. Which is within us, you know, that connection, you know, like it's, we don't have to go anywhere. Oh, it's yeah. like, it's slow down. Yeah, we, we, we yearn for that connection. Like you're saying, you know, we've, we've, we've disconnected ourselves from it, you know, especially by putting on shoes. I watched it. You good? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, a little like <laughs> we've, been, we've been sending it really hard. Oh, out here yeah, right. yeah, the last <laughs> one of these I did, I sat on a stool. Um, like at a desk and I was like, not this time, dude. I'm sitting in a comfy chair. Dude, nice. You look so lax, dude. Oh, I'm chilling. I think there's, <laughs> stuff, dude, there's this um, supplement called Anxiety. And it's this company <laughs> who has been doing um, some really good research with um, L-theanine and GABA. That combination. And they've had very a lot of success with um, Anxiety. Um, using that combination, but it's got ashwagandha, GABA, kava, L-theanine, and something else. Really good success. And Dana, Dana takes it every morning now, and she says it's it's helped her. Like she had a she at her new job, you know, it's always anxious starting something new and it's something she's never really done before. And something happened the other day, and she in her mind was just like, okay, that happened. It doesn't matter we're moving on like that was kind of the mm. process where usually it would be on her mind all day and she'd be freaking out about it and so like this stuff is and i guess they the the i get it from this place called tulsi it's like a health food health grocer kind of downtown um awesome place but they sell it there and they, they can't keep it on the shelf right now <laughs> it's really incredible stuff that's really cool man yeah we're learning so much about all these like other alternatives Instead, I'm really happy to hear that Dana is like getting you out of that. Yeah, uh, that's got to be life changing from the day to day. Yeah, like dealing with those, the, like you know, being able to process those things internally and not let them control you like that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, so. that's cool, man. Yeah. Dude, I love you, dude. I love you too, brother. It's been a while. Yeah, I know. I know. We really miss you out here, and it's crazy. Uh, Clara still remembers you. Aww. It's just so weird that babies don't remember, you know, like yeah. they don't remember that much. But like every once in a while, she'll point at a picture. There's a picture. <laughs> we have those little Polaroids that uh, Dustin was yeah. taking for a while, and they're still on the mirror. And there's a picture of us sitting there, and like I'm rolling a blunt or something. <laughs> and I get Clara's there, and she like points out people. And uh, it's Pat. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And the painting of you, she'll still, yeah, yeah, just like that. Yeah, yeah. Dana and Clara, and then this was me sitting in, sitting in there eating something. Uh, probably some broccoli, some eggs on top. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so far ago, dude. Oh, man, yeah, no, but still also like just yesterday at yeah, the same oh, yeah. time. Yep. 
time is, does not behave like we once knew it. Yeah. It's like a week takes forever, but a decade of shit happens in it. Yeah, oh yeah, everything's yeah. just flying by right now, man. It's crazy. You can't even keep up with it. That's why. That's why I gotta go into the woods and turn everything off and reconnect. That's what we were talking about: is the connection to nature and wearing shoes. And I watched this other doc, like an earthing documentary, and like the science now is backing this stuff up. Like for a long time, people believed this stuff, and a lot of ancient cultures believed this stuff because they were connected to it and it made them feel good. And you know, it's like the, all, the like all the ancient Indian. In India medicine and all stuff, scientific research, it just, you saw the results and it worked. So that's what it was. It's not like someone was doing research on the Ayurvedic diet. It's just you ate that diet and you felt great and you were able to transcend. So what the hell do we need numbers for? <laughs> but, you know, in our Western mind. Because we can't mind, sell it without the numbers. Yeah, exactly. In our Western <laughs> mind of thinking, you know, that's kind of, we're data driven. And so now there's all this research coming out about. It's called grounding. Literally, it's called grounding. Like, you ground a wire. You know, when you put up electricity, you have to put a ground wire in. So, like, when you're running, the guy discovered it because he was running telephone lines. And he realized that, oh, every time we run these telephone lines, you have to put a, a wire in the ground. So, if it gets struck by lightning, the TV doesn't blow up. The, the electricity is put into the ground. Well, he started thinking, we're electrical beings. Maybe we need to be grounded. Maybe there's a, something to all of this disease and things that are going on in the human experience. Maybe it's because we're not even touching earth anymore and that we need to be grounded. So, you know, he started not ever wearing shoes. Well, he noticed he felt better. Well, over time, this has caught on and they've been, there's now 21 published papers on this stuff where they have found a correlation between earthing or grounding for 30 minutes a day and the decrease of inflammation <laughs> and inflammation is related to all the diseases that we suffer from and so now there are these products so what he actually he did the first thing he did was he put he noticed that when he would get out of bed in the morning he would be swollen and sore and tight and he thought hmm, maybe it's because i'm not connected to the earth i'm in this room on a bed that's made of you know fake materials and sitting in this house and i'm not touching the earth so he put a piece of metal duct tape in his bed, and then he connected a wire to it, a grounding wire, out his window and down, and he pinned it into the earth. We woke up the next morning, he didn't have any swelling. His joint pain was gone. And it's because he slept, he basically slept on the earth all night because he's getting the electricity transfer from the earth to his body. Whoa. Yeah, and so now they, they sell these type of sleeping mats that you you plug it into the wall and whenever you plug something into the wall it's then grounded because it's going out into the going down into the ground so technically you're grounded electrically grounded so there's now these these pillowcases and sleeping mats and all this kind of stuff and there's testimonials and yeah 21 published research papers that are like now proving correlations between grounding and all this kind of stuff and it's like fascinating if you think about it we wake up in the morning we've been in our bed eight hours a day if we're lucky we spend the next hour getting ready for work. We put on shoes. We go outside. We get in a car. We go into our place of work for the next eight hours. And we come home. We take off our shoes. And we do the whole thing over again. Not once did we touch the earth. <laughs> it's so incredible, man. So it I, is. Falling down that rabbit hole lately. That's a, at least you'll be really grounded down that rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah they, I um... go work in the garden, dude. I don't wear any shoes. 
I, when I'm working around the house, I, just, I mean, I did it anyways, really. But like, I, when I'm in the garden, it is the no shoes only. Dude, the hippies <laughs> win again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I think the guy, the guy that wrote that book, Earthing, if it's the same guy, there was it a is. book called Earthing. He said that the, sh- the shoe was the worst invention for human health that's ever been invented. Yep. That's the same guy. <laughs> wow. That's so crazy. Yeah, I think I'll just keep not wearing shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Keep on keeping on. Yeah. yeah. That's all we can do. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Man. Um, it's been really good. Yeah, it's been really good talking to you, brother. Yeah, you too. You need to do it more yeah. often. Yeah, let's do it. With or without yeah. the recording, let's just, you know. I'd love to have you out sometime. You got to check out the space, um, get dropped into some Earth Pulse conversations yeah. and stuff, you know. I mean, yeah. yeah. I'd love to come check it out. Um, yeah, let me let me look into it, man. Let me look into it because, like I said, I'm unemployed right now and I've got a little bit little bit of time left on that. Um, and then I'm gonna I'm actually I'm probably gonna apply to a job. the The market actually is hiring right now. the the It's called the Wild Ramp, our local market. Um, like it's it's a farmers market, so I'm gonna look into maybe trying to get a job there, and it'd be it'd be awesome to be part of that supply chain. You know, bring you know trying to get Good food to people, you know? Fuck yeah, dude. But, well, uh, that beard will get you hired immediately. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll look into it. Maybe I'll try to make a trip. Okay. That'd be cool. Well, you uh, moved the studio out of your old room, so uh, you have, you have your old room back. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, or you can sleep out in the parking spot you used to live in, too. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Just pop a tent out there right in. Yeah, you're real grounded. Uh, yeah. Hey, man, well, this man. has been awesome. Yeah, it's been really cool, man. I got to take uh, Holly to the airport or the train station or something. Somewhere where she's leaving for a few days. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Well, but, tell her dude, I said hello, and I enjoyed listening to her the other day. So. I will. I'll let her know, man. And tell Dana I said hello, and I love her, too. Love, love both of you guys so much. Love you all very much. Yeah. Send, my, send my love to Claire and Chelsea. Are they there? Um, they are outside on a walk. Uh, okay. uh, somewhere yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Clara kept beating down the door trying to get in here huh. but you, you probably can hear that at some point in the podcast yeah, yeah, Chelsea was trying to like get her out of here but yeah she's she's a she's a trip right now man she's yeah. deep in her deep in her shoes but it's, it's a lot of fun <laughs> That's cute. yeah yeah well, all right brother that was a lot of fun brother stay safe keep doing what you're doing man I'm glad you've kind of you know, you've you've always known it's always been there, but it seems like it's finally made its way toward you, to you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thankful for that, brother. I'm so happy That's about beautiful. that. You know, like it, it's just like everything just feels like it's aligned in like its exact perfect way. And like it always it always was. Yeah, it just doesn't feel like it for it so long. It doesn't feel like it. I know. Yeah. But you're on that. It's that path you're on towards it. You know, and then it finally arrives. No doubt, man. So, no doubt. Dude, I'm stoked to hear you guys are happy doing you're doing what you're doing too, man. Yeah. yeah, when you come out here, bring me some of them chanterelles. Hell yeah, dude. Okay, you're in mushroom country. Yeah, oh yeah, you can teach me how to find them out here. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. All right, brother. All right. Stay safe, Love you, brother. Love you. Take care. Okay.